0: Good afternoon, New Life Fellowship Church, second Sunday of 2017. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Genesis. That's an easy one. First book in the Bible, chapter 12, Genesis 12. We'll come back there in a moment. We are starting a new series called Following God Lessons from the Life of Abraham. We're going to take that for the next couple of months before we go into the season of Lent. But um, I want to encourage you to read through uh, from Genesis 12 onwards as we look at the story of Abraham in your time with God. You'll find so much, so much to learn from this story. And uh, when you look at Abraham and his life, it's so much to offer. It's interesting that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis... Uh, uh, really, are comprised of thousands, if not millions, of years. Creation, the stories there, and then there are 14 chapters given towards the life of Abraham. And so, when you think of proportion, 11 chapters comprised of thousands, the millions of years, and then you have 14 chapters towards this for this life, this man's life. And so, there's so much for us to learn from his story. And so, today we're going to explore really what's the big overarching story, the part of who, who Abraham is, that's going to inform the rest of these messages over the next couple of months, and so I'm going to get really big picture and then talk about what does it mean to follow God in the way of Abraham, and today is, the church celebrates the day of Epiphany, it's, uh, it's the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Magi, and I pray that God would give us revelation of who Christ is as we look at Scripture and as we hear the gospel preached together. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we look to him in his word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we follow you today, I pray that you would uh, lead us by the power of your Spirit. And may we be sensitive to the ways you are leading us individually as well as as a church together. Open our eyes our ears, our hearts, so that we might get a revelation of who you are for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. One of the undeniable realities of being human is our deep desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves, to be part of a bigger story than we typically belong to. This is a scene in many different ways and manifested in different ways. We long to be part of something bigger than ourselves, to be part of a story bigger than our own lives. Isn't this why many teenagers would go and grow up to go into gang culture, And be a part of gangs, not because they want to beat people up primarily, not because they want to kill people, but because they want to belong to something bigger than themselves. Isn't this why we have a fascination with movies and with particular uh, 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 actors that come out that we shape our lives and our imaginations according to these movies? Why do people dress up like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and Chewbacca? It's not just because they're... Weird, that's a little bit true to that, but it's because they want to belong to something bigger than themselves. They want to attach themselves to a story bigger than themselves. Why do millions of people attach themselves to sports teams and and root for teams? Why do we do this? Not because we just enjoy torture and pain as a Met fan, as a Knicks fan, as a Jets fan. No, because we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So much so that we use inclusive language to, to attach ourselves. We say things like, we lost the game. We won the game. And whenever we lose, my wife will look at me and say, I didn't see you playing today, you know? I don't see you on the payroll. I don't. I, you didn't make a shot. What do you mean we lost the game? And we say that because we want to attach ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. We want to belong to a bigger story. And while all these things are great, what we must see today in this passage is that Jesus, God calls us into a big story for us to live into. And all of us are called into the story that God, from the beginning of the book of Genesis, God is is creating a story, a story of redemption, a story of recreation, a story of renewal, and God is not content being the only figure in the story. God invites every single one of us into this story. The challenge with our lives is many of us settle for smaller stories, Rather than saying yes to God's big story. Many of us settle for the story of the American dream where we want to possess all that we can, do all that we can. And that becomes the beginning and the end of our story. But that story is much too little. The story of the American dream is much too little. God is calling us as something greater than our own personal achievements, greater than our own personal accomplishments. He's calling us to a big, big story. And what we are longing for is to be part of a story that we are called into. And this is what we're gonna see with Abraham. The story that we long to live in is one we are called into, not one we create on our own. You cannot create a story big enough to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. You long to be called into a story. And God today is calling you into his story. And maybe you've been called before. He's calling you again to go deeper into his story. And this is what we're going to see in Genesis. Abraham is called into a story, and Abraham becomes a picture of our lives as well. Beginning in Genesis 11, towards the end of this chapter, we'll begin there. Hear the word of the Lord. It says the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's how Genesis 11 ends, and then Genesis 12 begins. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham went forth. The book of Genesis tells us how everything gets Started. It tells about creation. It tells us about how sin enters into the world and tells us about how God planned to renew and rescue the world from its sin. And you can't understand Genesis 12 without looking at Genesis 1 through. 11. And what happens in Genesis 1 through 11 simply is this humanity is created, created to, to, to co labor with God, to work for a beautiful and renewed creation. But because of sin, humanity uh, essentially pushes God away, and sin enters into the world. Pride, violence, destruction. And what we see in Genesis 1 through 11 is beauty that turns into chaos. And we see the world does not look right at all. And at the end of chapter 11, the word that they use to describe it all is the word barren. The word barren. And it is out of this place of destruction that God calls Abraham. And he calls Abraham out of a situation of barrenness. Now, it's interesting because uh, barrenness is one of the more uh, frowned upon words in the scriptures. It means lifeless. And in this case, for Abraham and his wife, Sarai, it meant they could not have children. But this word barren also served as a larger word to describe what was happening with the world. It's a metaphor of hopelessness. There's no foreseeable future. There's no human power to create a new kind of future. And we've all been there at one point of our lives or another, where our future looks hopeless, where it doesn't seem like we have the power to create the kind of life that we really want to live. Our lives seem barren, lifeless, desolate, fractured, fragmented. Some of you, when you look at your family, you see, Barrenness. Some of you, when you look at your marriages, you see barrenness. You look at your job situation, barrenness. You look at your spiritual life, you see barrenness. You see your physical reality, you see barrenness. Barrenness is a reality of life. But God's story is powerful because God works with barrenness. God does not walk away from barrenness. God walks towards barrenness. And this, what we read, is one of the more powerful portions of Scripture because God calls Abraham in spite of his barrenness. I love how the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says it. He says that the marvel of biblical faith is that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. If I were in charge of the story, if I were God, I would make my life easy. I'd choose a young, fertile couple and say, listen, you guys have no problem having children. I'm going to start the story with you two. But God does not start the story the way that we start stories. God looks for the most hopeless situation and says, I will start with them. He looks for an old couple, a barren couple. And what God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but God is making a singular point that God knows how to deal with hopelessness. That out of barrenness, God's power can emerge. And so our barrenness, our hopelessness, our pain are not an obstacle to God's activity. They often serve as the prerequisite to God's activity. Whenever you are feeling hopeless, you are a prime candidate for God's intervention. Amen. If whenever you experience pain and trouble, you are a prime candidate for God's power and his activity in your life. Genesis 12 begins with the words, the Lord said. Stop right there. Whatever's happened up until this point, it doesn't mean anything anymore because... In Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said, Abraham and his wife were old, but the Lord said. His wife and were, they were barren, but the Lord said. They had nothing to offer, but the Lord said. You see, a contrast, a juxtaposition. Genesis 11 ends with barrenness, but Genesis 12 says, the Lord said, and whatever the Lord says goes. Amen. Whatever the Lord says goes. The Lord, said, you might say something, don't mean nothing, (laughs) but if the Lord said it, it goes. The Lord said. This is a theme we see in the book of Genesis. The opening lines of the book of Genesis, get at this. it's, It's one of the more familiar passages that everyone knows. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, from the opening lines in the Bible, we meet a God who knows how to make something Out of nothing. And if God can make something out of nothing as it pertains to the universe, surely God can make something out of nothing as it pertains to your life. Surely God can make something out of nothing with our country. Surely God can make something out of nothing with your job. Surely God can make something out of nothing in your situation. The Lord said. said. Mm, That's good. The Lord said. We see this from the beginning of the book of Genesis. And so God calls Abram. Abram's minding his business, doing his own thing. No concept of God. Later on in the scriptures, interestingly enough, it would say that Abraham, his, his, pet, his father is worshiping other gods. God calls him. He doesn't wait till Abraham gets his theology right before God calls him. God calls him. And when God calls him, he calls him for a specific purpose. He calls Abraham to himself to send him on pilgrimage. And I want you to see that. He calls him Abraham and he sends him on pilgrimage. And this is the essence of the story of God throughout the, through, throughout the scriptures. God's story is that of calling people and sending them on pilgrimage. The first encounter Abraham has with god is interesting his the first words that god speak are go forth from your country from your relatives to your father's house to the land i will show you and i will make you a great nation and i will bless you make your name great you have to understand how disorienting this is abraham's minding his business having a good time Maybe, you know, at the local coffee shop. He's just minding, minding, he's familiar territory. And the first words God says to him, go. No, like, hi, my name is God. Uh, No conversations, no coffee, no map, no GPS, not even gas money. I mean, you you want me to go, give me some gas money at least, you know, some toll money. But the first thing he says is, go. Go where? And he says, to the place I'll show you. Essentially, when you get there, you'll know it. Don't you hate when God does that? Where are we going? You know, just keep going. You'll find out when you get there. He tells Abram to go, to go on pilgrimage. And what we're going to see is we're going to be pilgrims with Abraham on the journey over the next couple of months looking at the different ups and downs and twists and turns in Abraham's life because his, his life is a, a picture of our lives as well. He is on pilgrimage. He's called, God calls him and sends him on pilgrimage. Now this, this word pilgrimage is a, it's a metaphor for the spiritual life. And in a church like ours, in a borough like ours in Queens where half of our residents are foreign born, many of us understand this notion of being on pilgrimage, going from one place to another, and how disorienting this is, how new it is, how challenging it is, how fearful it is. This is what Abraham is experiencing, but all of us are called to be on pilgrimage. I like how Eugene Peterson says it. He says there are two biblical designations for people of faith, disciple and pilgrim. Disciple says we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master Jesus, We are in a growing, learning relationship always. To be a pilgrim means we are people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean for us to go on pilgrimage? God calls you, and every single one of us in this room, God's word to you today is, go, go on pilgrimage. Now, traditionally, when you hear the word pilgrimage, we think of a geographical journey that leads us to a specific holy place, a sacred place, people going to Jerusalem, people going to Israel, and this kind of pilgrimage is important, but the reality is many of us in this room, maybe most of us in this room, will not go on that kind of regional, geographical pilgrimage, and yet God still says, go. God has a pilgrimage for you. To go on pilgrimage in the way of Abraham is to go into unfamiliar territory, to go on a journey that we are not in control of. And this is hard work to go into unfamiliar territory, to go into a place where we are not in control, which is why many of us, instead of being pilgrims, rather, we would rather choose the way of being tourists. It's easier to be a tourist than it is to be a pilgrim. I want to be a tourist. God says, you're a pilgrim. Here's the difference. The difference is a pilgrim is led by God into the unknown and is invited to trust. A tourist just wants to sightsee on his own terms. The spiritual life for many of us is just about tourism, sanctified tourism. (laughs) We want to go where we want to go. We want to do the stuff we want to see. And God says, no, I want you to do that. I'm not a pilgrim. I'm a tourist. Tour, to be a tourist means life is done on your own terms. A pilgrim says, you, are, you, you go where you are sent. There's a big difference. And so Abraham is a pilgrim, not a tourist. And he invites us to be a pilgrim as well. Now the question is, if we're a pilgrim, where's God taking us? Where does God want to take you? And before we even get there, to talk about destination and journey... What God wants to do in us is what God somehow fashioned in Abraham. Abraham, for whatever reason, had a particular heart disposition towards God. God said, go, and the Bible says, so Abram went. What God is looking for are people who would have a level of trust in God, to trust him when he says go. That's ultimately what this series is about, us cultivating a heart of trust so that when God says go, it's, it says of our lives, so we went. And so before we even talk about where, God is trying to form in us a deep sense of trust. And many of us, if I over the first two services, having conversation with people, many people are saying, I'm on a pilgrimage in many different areas of our lives. And I imagine that the same is true for us in this room. Some of you are on a pilgrimage as it, pilgrimage as it pertains to your singleness. You're a single person, and it seems like you're on pilgrimage to try to find a significant other. Maybe you're married, and you're on a pilgrimage towards a, a more joyful marriage. Maybe you are in a dark season of your life, and you're on pilgrimage. to Understand, well, I know there's hope. I know there's life. I know there's joy. I'm trying to find this hope. I'm trying to find this life. I'm trying to find this joy. Maybe you are retired, you're on a pilgrimage towards understanding what is God's uh, role for you right now, even though you are retired. We are all on pilgrimage. But what I want to invite us to is I believe God, uh, for all of us in this room, we all have our unique pilgrimage journeys. But for all of us in this room as the family of Jesus, I believe that God has us to go on pilgrimage to a few specific areas. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack that, but I want to talk about two. Where do I believe God calling us to go? Where is God sending us? And I want to just unpack two of these areas of pilgrimage. Let me say it this way first. God wants you to go on pilgrimage into the unknown land of your interior world. There are millions of people who have never made pilgrimage to the Holy Land. There are many more millions of people who have never made pilgrimage to the holy land of their interior life. Unless we make this trip, we will miss out on what God wants to do in our lives, to make a pilgrimage to the interior of our lives. I like how the United Nations Secretary General some years ago, he said uh, this startling quote. He says, we have learned to explore the outer limits of our world, even putting men on the moon. But we have not learned to explore our inner world. The longest journey for any of us is the journey inward. God calls you on a journey where? Inward. It's the longest journey for any of us and this is hard because we have created a strategy in our world of life that helps us avoid ourselves much of life is this project to avoid ourselves why are we so busy with work workaholism social media distraction. So much of it is because we're working really hard to avoid confronting ourselves, to avoid confronting what's happening in our interior world. And so much of our workaholism is a strategy to avoid our pain, our grief, our anger, our sadness. And don't get me wrong, to take this journey is hard, but you know what's more problematic? Not taking the journey at all. Because at some, at some point, in our life or another, for us to not take an interior journey into what God is doing in us will lead to us uh, manifesting some Ill issue when we least expect it. Some years ago, I had my first car. My uncle, uh, a church member, uh, sold me his car, a 1988 Nissan Sentra. It uh, had about 900,000 miles on it. I said, I'll take it. He sold it to me for $800. Great. Broke down in two months. Second car, my uncle sold it to me, a 1989 Oldsmobile Royale. Had, uh, you know, maybe 700,000 miles. I'm exaggerating a little bit. It just seemed like that. He charged me a little extra. I don't know why I didn't get the family discount, but he charged me a, a little extra. And after a couple of months, the car broke down again. And so I'm about to go to college. I say, you know, I need, a, I need a car to drive around. I need a car to do some stuff. And so I had saved some additional money. I saved $3,000, you know, 19 year old, $3,000. That's a miracle, okay? And so I had $3,000. And so I went on autotrader.com. I said, uh, obviously my uncle's unreliable and that church guy, I don't even know he's a Christian, uh, you know, just, but, but somehow, you know, I need a new car. And so I went to autotrader.com. I found a 1995 Nissan Altima. It only had 98,000 miles on it, but relatively speaking, that's pretty good. 1995 Nissan Altima. I said, that's the one I'm going to get it. So I picked it up. Driving, driving, driving up and down campus, blasting the music a little bit. You know, I'm feeling good about myself. But here's the problem with me and cars. I'm just not good at, like, car stuff. I'm just not good at it. I mean, I just don't open the hood. I I can't find the button to the hood. I don't know what's happening. Where is the button to open up the hood? I don't change. I I know how to put gas in the car. I know how to turn around, parallel park drive. That's the extent of my knowledge when it comes to cars. And so one day I started hearing this funny noise as I'm driving. I don't know what it is. I said, no, this, this sounds pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, I got to keep driving. I got some stuff to do. I'm driving, driving. And then one day I started hearing this awkward, like, uh, it seemed like a tire issue, but it's just it's like this, it's some issue happening. But I'm like, you know what? And the, the more I drove, the louder it got. And so I said, I don't know what to do here, but I know how to temporarily fix the problem. So I'm driving. I said, I know what I need to do. I just need to blast the music. And so I just throw the music up. I can't hear the problem anymore. This is wonderful. I'm driving. My jam comes on. I'm having a good time. But let me tell you, just because the music went up, didn't mean the problem was solved. And so I'm driving on 87 South from Nyack coming down to Brooklyn. And thank God it was a Sunday morning and nobody wanted to go to church that day because there was nobody on the highway. And all of a sudden my tire explodes on 87 South. Just boom. I'm from Brooklyn. I saw somebody shooting at me. I just like, this is, this is awful, you know. I'm like, you know, your Brooklyn instincts start kicking in. I'm just duck, you know, just like Drive. And so, just boom, the tire goes over to the side, I pull over, and of course, the tire blew out. And as I look back at that day, uh, from time to time, I open the hood now, and I, I, you know, I, I don't let that get to a place anymore, but I realize what a, what a, a analogy for our lives, that often there's stuff that's happening, but if we think, if I just raise the music of my life, if I just ignore it a little bit, it's going to go away. It don't. Go away. And so we are invited to take a pilgrimage to our interior life to address our wounds, our pain, our anger, our sadness, our idols, our addictions. Because it's a recognition that if we don't take this interior journey, somehow it's going to manifest in a boom. Boom. And so Abraham goes on a journey, and we are invited to go into a journey. And the reason why we should have confidence in going on an interior journey is because Jesus Christ is with us. And if there's anyone who's been down a dark journey, it is Jesus. If there's anyone who's been to the lowest of the low, to the darkest of abyss, It is Jesus, and Jesus knows what it's like to go into the grave, into hell, as it were, and burst forth out of the grave in power. And so when you go into a pilgrimage on your interior world, you don't go alone. It is Jesus who goes with you. Some of you say, will I ever come out of it? If I start thinking about the trauma in my life, will I ever come out of it? Would I ever truly experience wholeness? But you come, you go, and you go, you go, and Jesus goes with you. This is why we have in a couple of weeks, our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. We're trying to, as a community, help each other take a pilgrimage into our interior world so that we would experience the kind of freedom that God has for each and every one of us in this room. That no longer is your past predicting your future, but now you're experiencing a level of freedom. God wants you to travel within, to take an interior journey. And so that's one area of our church. I want to share one more. Not only does God uh, is calling us as a church together in our own respective and personal pilgrimages that we have, that God also has for us a collective pilgrimage. And it's not just our interior world. I would say it this way, that God wants you to go on pilgrimage to discern God's will in this season of your life. Abraham's journey is one of discernment. He doesn't know where he's going. God says, go. Where? To a land. What time? You'll find out. How do I know? I'll tell you then. How? He doesn't know. Abraham has to live his life discerning, should I go right or should I go left? Should I go this way or should I go that way? His life on this journey is one of discernment. God didn't say, here's a map, go there. And most of our lives, we don't even know where we're going. And so we must pay attention to the specific seasons that we're in to figure out what is God saying to us on this part of the journey, especially the difficult parts of the journey. All of us, We'll hit like Abraham does, and we're going to see it in the next few weeks. Difficult parts of the journey. What do you do when you hit a difficult part? The invitation for us is to discern God's will. It's easier to complain about the part of the journey, to try to quickly get ourselves out of the journey. But will we discern what is God doing in me? for me and through me in the midst of this difficult part of the journey. And all of us, some of you are in a difficult part of the journey right now. And you're trying to get out of this thing as quickly as possible. But might there be something of God that God is trying to reveal to you in this season? I've experienced this um, in this season of life. My wife and I, we are in our own particular difficult part of the journey. The journey has a name to it. It's called parenting with a two-year-old. That's the journey. Talk about a pilgrimage. This is a pilgrimage. And um, over the past few months and weeks, there's, I've sensed what is God doing, but it hasn't come easy. We live in a home with a, um, a very active two-year-old. And, boy, it gets, it gets challenging from time to time. You've seen some of the pictures on Facebook. He is as cute as you can be. Don't let that fool you, okay? He's as cute as you can be. Don't let that fool you. My son wants what he wants when he wants it. He's very creative, too, in his requests and very persistent in his requests. And so he'll ask for something, and if I say no, within a split second, he knows what the next option is. And he will keep going until he gets what he wants. He says, Daddy, I want a lollipop. The reason I have lollipops in my pocket, why do I have a lollipop in my pocket? I, it's pilgrimage. You know, just... <laughs> Daddy, I want a lollipop. No, I want an icy. No, I want a cookie. No, I want ice cream. No, I, I, can I get a cracker? No, can I get a banana? All right, I'll give you a banana. All right, I'll give you a banana here. But just not, I want this. No, I want this. No, I want this. So he wants what he wants when he wants it that's that's just a little bit of the pilgrimage issues we have there's a lot of whole lot of other stuff and so um i i found that in my parenting that what complicates this pilgrimage of parenting is when i get home i often get distracted and sometimes absorbed with my cell phone and with social media i know none of you struggle with this at all and so i'll just i'll just preach to myself about this uh uh, I get home, and I, I want to see what I'm missing. I want to see what's happening there. And so what complicates it is, this is me, and I got my phone here, and I'm, I'm doing my thing here. And he always wants something when I'm on the phone, okay? He always just wants something when I'm on the phone. And so he, can I get a, a lollipop? No. Can I get uh, some ice? No. Can I get a cookie? No. Can I this, this? This is me. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden, what do you want from my life, little boy? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I give him what he wants. He doesn't want it anymore. I give something he doesn't want anymore. It's just like, what do you want? And so I say, we got to do something. Talk to Rose. We got to do something. Got to do something with him. I don't know what we're going to do. We got to do something with him. And so I, 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 I say, I got to pray. I got I, I to, gotta, I, at some point I say I need to discern what is God saying to me about him? You know, what is God saying to me about him? And so every morning, every morning, I find this place in our home, and for about 10, 15 minutes, every single morning, I find a quiet place, and I'm silent in the presence of Jesus. This is my morning, part of my rule of life, every single morning. I'm just, I don't want, I'm not there to get from God, I'm there just to be with God. I find a place to breathe, to call on Jesus, to just be present. And I did that recently, and for a number of days, just trying to figure this out, I journal a little bit, journaling my thoughts, read a scripture, and at one point, I'm bringing this before the Lord. Lord, what do I do? My son seems to um, need a lot. What do I do? And so at one point, it felt so clear that a word came to me. And I heard a question. And the question was uh, not something I was anticipating, but this is what I sensed God saying deep within in that silence. God asking me, is the problem... Nathan, who needs your attention, was the problem. Your distracted way of life is the problem, Nathan, or is the problem your distracted way of life? And at that moment, I was like, "No, God, that's not what I was asking. That's just, I'm looking for something else." And at that moment, I just sensed God saying to me, "What you need to be is present, present, present. He needs you to be." Present. And so typically, this would be my, my, my posture in the home. And God said, I want you to be present. And Rosie and I have been reading a book, and we've been, how, how do we attune to him? How do we live incarnationally with a two-year-old? And so my posture has gone from that to my posture going to this now. And let me tell you, I don't want to say everything's wonderful. He's walking on water. His diaper doesn't get dirty. I mean, no, no, no listen. There's still plenty of tensions but something began to change recently when I would just go from that posture to this posture. And i look at him and hug him. Sometimes, you know, he's still doing his crying and everything like that, but something has changed in me and in our home life together. Most of us, when a difficult season comes, first of all, it's that person needs to change. This issue needs to change. And yet God is saying, no, I want you to now attune to take on a different posture, I wonder what's the posture Jesus is calling you to. We won't understand that posture until we go on pilgrimage to discern God's will. Lord, what are you saying to me in this season? What are you doing in me in this season? And unless we go, Abraham needed to consistently discern God's will, God's direction. And you know what? Many times Abraham made a mistake, and that's okay. God will use our mistakes, and God forgives us of our mistakes, But if we're not living with a posture of discernment, we will miss out on what God wants to do in us. Let me close with this. I love how the story, after God says, go, he gives a command, then God gives a blessing. Command and promise, command and promise, command and promise. God says, go, Leave your land, leave your family, and we're going to talk about that next week. But then he says, go to a land I will show you. Then he says, and then I will bless you. And not only will I but I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to the people, or the nations will be blessed through you. An amazing, con- uh, unconditional promise. You do, I will bless you. And I believe God As we go, God says, all I'm asking you for is obedience to go to the places where I'm calling you to go. And if you go, I'll bless you. And not only will I bless you, I will use you to bless others. God is inviting us into a story. The story is one of blessing ultimately. It's a story of blessing the world, that our lives are to be lived in such a way That we're not just about our personal blessing, we're about us being an extension of God's blessing to the world. And Abraham did not know it, but God was using him so that in him the Messiah would come and God would bless uh, the world through Abraham's faith and Abraham's faithfulness even when he messed it up. And God says the same thing to us. Will you trust me as I tell you to go? When I call you, will you trust me? Will you go on pilgrimage? It's not a place you typically would sign up to go on your own, but will you trust me to go to deep places in your soul that you've been ignoring? Will you trust me to go and take the time to discern my activity in your life? And as you go, I will bless you, and you will then be a blessing to the people around you. Amen. Let's have the worship team come forward. God wants to pour out blessing on us and through us. It first means we say yes. The passage said, so Abram went. May it be said of our lives every day by God's grace. So we went. So I went. And as we go to places that it might be difficult, it might be uncertain, God promises to bless us. I want to leave you with a prayer. It's a pilgrim's prayer written by Thomas Merton, one of my favorite authors. And I think he gets at what Abraham was feeling and thinking as he journeyed to God. And maybe what you're thinking and feeling as you're on your own pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. This is what he says. He says, My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem lost in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. God is with you. God sends you and God promises to bless you. Lord Jesus, you invite us into a really massive, beautiful story, a story that you call us into, not one we create on our own. And Lord, on this day, you invite us to go on pilgrimage, on a slow, often confusing and uncertain path, but, Lord, we go in your name, and we go believing that you are with us. And So teach us, Lord, what it means to go on pilgrimage into our interior world. Teach us what it means to take the time to discern your activity in our lives today. And may we be people like Abraham who are faithful in our obedience and say yes to you when you call. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said. Let's all stand, let's sing together. Amen. Amen. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. Abraham, such a beautiful story. God calls him out of his own barrenness. And this man becomes, as we're going to see, the father of faith, father of our faith and through his obedience the world is blessed. The Messiah comes as a result of his obedience. The Messiah comes through his lineage. Jesus Christ comes thousands of years later, dies on the cross, resurrects. I mean, because this man, it started this man saying yes. How many people are are waiting to be blessed through your obedience? There are many people that God is waiting to bless through you. But God is saying, first things first, I'm waiting for you to obey. I'm waiting for you to go. And as you go, God says, leave the blessing up to me. I will, I will begin to bless not just you, but others. And This is the invitation for us to say yes to Jesus. We have the Lord's table. In the Lord's table, Christianity, the story of Jesus, the gospel, is a story of pilgrimage. It's the greatest of pilgrimages. Jesus Christ is in heaven. He takes a pilgrimage down to earth. You don't get longer than that. He comes up from heaven. He had everything. Trinitarian love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ leaves that, takes on human flesh, walks on this earth, dies on a cross, resurrects in power. The way of Christianity is a pilgrimage, and Jesus invites us. So when you come to the table to take bread and dip it in the cup and take communion, ultimately you're saying, Lord, would you fashion in my heart a pilgrimage? May I be like Abraham, like Moses, like Jesus. And as I say yes to you and as I obey you, Lord, would you bless? Not just me, but would you bless the world around me? And so we'll have someone to offer that there. And we, our prayer team, maybe you're in a dark season right now. Maybe you're at a plate, part of your journey where it's very difficult. And you need people along the journey with you to help support you, to pray with you, to pray for you. And so we have our prayer team here um, that would love to lay hands on you and and pray that you would have courage and discernment in this season. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. The reason we close with this posture, because we cannot give what we have not received. This is why we close with our hands in this posture. And so, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to Jesus when he calls. (laughs) And wherever he's sending you, may you have a heart like Abraham, where it says about your life, so he went, so she went. And as you go, may God bless you. And as you go, may God use you to bless others. May the world be blessed because of your obedience. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.